Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is January 2nd, 2024. Happy New Year. We conclude our series, Words for Life, and our word for today is faith. And this will be a Rather unusual message. I usually try to do New Year's messages as a future-looking, encouraging type of message with lots of vision. But we've been prophetically speaking from the electionary, and so we will do that again today. And in having the word faith, I'll be honest, it was very difficult to look at these scriptures because they're more of a Christmassy Advent selection from the lectionary. And so we don't want to try to force scripture into something that we want to to talk about. We want the scripture to speak for itself. But we are doing a prophetic message, which means we're wanting the scripture to speak to us now in a sort of a rhema word from the Logos word. And so I think the Lord has provided something for us. And so with that, and in this challenge, we're going to talk about faith and a little bit about waiting. So with that, I want to ask you, do you enjoy waiting for things? Some of you may be tired of waiting for me to get started with this message. Uh, have Have you ever felt like you were fulfilling your destiny by waiting? Do you feel like you're more faithful when you're doing something or when you're waiting? Now, I know, what does waiting have to do with faith? Actually, quite a bit. Hebrews chapter 11, this is the designated the faith chapter of the Bible. And it says in verse 1 that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if you're hoping for something, and I've taught them this before, I don't want to rehash this, but this hoping is a part of waiting. You don't have it yet, but you know it's coming. And of course, it then goes into this chapter where it details all these, quote, heroes of the faith and all the activities, miracles, the things that they did and accomplished because of faith. And then you get down to the last two two verses, verses 39 and 40, and it says, And all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Some things to really highlight in those verses God had 
promised them some things they did not receive. Now, all these actions, all these miracles, they're heroes of faith and all this faith, and yet the miracles that they saw and all these things that made them faith, those were not the promises. See, they're heroes of faith because they believed in something they didn't get. So Abraham believing for a son, and he got Isaac, that was not the promise of the son. Samson killing all those Philistines in the end, that was not the promise that he was given. All those miracles were not the promise. They were things that happened along the way in their life because they were waiting for the promise. And in that waiting, these miracles happened. And it was because God was going to provide something better, better for you and I. And it's because they can't be made perfect separate from you and I. And so you say, faith is more than, quote, miracles or actions. Matter of fact, that faith was involved in them waiting for a promise they didn't receive in their lifetime. And so when you begin to understand this, see, sometimes we think, well, I'm having faith to believe for a miracle. You need to bet your faith in the promise of God and miracles will follow. But miracles aren't a product. Miracles aren't because you're, you're believing in faith for the miracle. Miracles follow your faith because your faith is in the promise. And for these heroes of the faith, that promise was Jesus Christ. But I want us to understand that, you know, there's something that in our faith, waiting is involved. Now we're going to get to our lectionary readings. Luke chapter 2. This is our big portion. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. It reads, Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to be to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce you through your own soul also, and the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of uh, Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was of a great age, 
a widow of about 84 years old who did not depart from the temple but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and grace of God was upon him. Wow, so much in there. It's very much a very Christmassy message. But what does it mean to wait? You know, waiting is really tied to this Greek word kairos. And kairos is an appointed time. It's a moment. It's a special moment when fulfillment happens. It's not just any moment in time. These Kairos moments are this, it's, it's, it's a, an important appointed moment that God does something special. And believe it or not, we are, there's lots of Kairos moments that God has for us. The birth of Jesus, a Kairos moment, the cross and the resurrection, Kairos moments. And here's another one. It says, when the full, um, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed. See, here's Mary, and she's had this baby, and without trying to get too gross, but you know, having a baby's is not clean. There's a lot of blood involved, and for a woman to have issues of blood makes them unclean. And so they have to go through a purification and to to present themselves back out with people. It's about a week. And so she has to wait for her days of purification to be complete before she can take Jesus to the temple to be circumcised, which is, you know, I want to say, isn't this funny and this coincidental? It's not. It's not like it's a coincidence because God put it in the law and he, he knows, but male children were always circumcised eight days after birth. And that's also about the time it takes a woman to go through her purification ritual. Uh, imagine that the Lord knows what he's doing on both of those matters. And so at this time when her days of purification are complete and she can present Jesus to the Lord, the firstborn you have to take to the temple to present to the Lord. And so this is a Kairos moment. It's appointed by God. You have to wait for this moment. And, you know, I know some some people go, well, every woman has, well, it'd be a Kairos moment for every woman. What, you don't think God doesn't appoint, God creates the life. You don't think God doesn't appoint these moments? But this is, this is Jesus. There was nothing about Jesus's life that wasn't in some Kairos moment, um, days of purification. But I also want us to understand that, there's a lot of prophetic references to this. And so if you look at Mary like, you know, the like, like the church or the bride, we are living in days of purification. You know, purification goes into the same thing as, that, as sanctification. Yes, I'm sanctified the moment I believe Jesus has saved me and cleansed me from all my sin, but yet I'm in a process of, of sanctification where God is making me holy so that in the future when I stand before him I will be holy I will be spotless blameless and pure you know I, I know that God's forgiven me all my sin but I live in a sinful world and you know sometimes I'm not I'm not perfect and so something happens and I need to go and 
and what? Take that before the Lord. I, I'm in a process of God sanctifying me. I'm better now than I was yesterday, and I'm better now than what I was last year and 10 years ago and, and 20 years ago. But I'm not perfect yet. But by the promise of God, I will be someday when I stand before him. That's a process of sanctification. I'm being purified by the Spirit of God. And so for the church, until we stand before the Lord, we're in a process of purification, sanctification. And someday we will be presented to the Lord by the Spirit. So there's this, there's this moment. And here she is. She's waiting until she, she does this. And, and so there's this waiting involved. Now think about it. She's doing this by, by faith. The same way you and I are waiting for the Lord. We're, we're, we're waiting by faith. Yet when you're waiting for her, think about this. And I, again, I don't want to get gross, but let's just, we have to look at this. She's had this baby. There's all this blood. What does she do to begin her purification in those days? Well, she has to get up and clean herself. She has to wash herself. She has to take off the old clothing that is now dirty and stain and put on new clothing. We as the church must put off our old selves and put on Christ. We must cleanse ourselves by the blood of Jesus. We must cleanse our minds by the reading of the word. We must, there's this, again, there's this cleansing and washing effect of the Spirit of God that comes through us. It is, in a lot of ways, a maturing process for us, but we are, we are going through this process. And so when you think about it, waiting doesn't mean you do nothing. Waiting means you're doing what you need to do in faith to stand presented before the Lord. Sometimes we think of waiting as, oh, you do nothing. You just sit, sit there and, I don't know, um, um, sort of, sort of kind of a garbagey sort of empty yourself Eastern thought, which is, is sinful. No, no, no. Waiting doesn't mean you do nothing. It means you do what you should do to prepare for receiving of the promise that you have not received. For us, it's going to be the presenting before the Lord. Now, some interesting things. We have two people here that are also waiting. We have Simeon, who is waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, there's often times we've been taught, and I've even fallen into this myself, where we say there was no prophets between Malachi and John the Baptist. There were none. Well, that's not true. How do I, I know, how do I know that? Well, right here in the scripture, Luke 2, the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't pour out on just anybody. The Holy Spirit wasn't poured out on all flesh. Very, very few people. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon you, you were a prophet. Like when the Holy Spirit poured out on Saul and he sat on the mountain sounding prophet, everyone said, what? Is Saul one of the prophets? Why do they call him one of the prophets? Because he prophesied. Why did he prophesy? Because the Holy Spirit came upon him. Even if that was the only time that ever happened, people who saw that would always think he's could be a prophet because the Holy Spirit. Well, here we see Simeon has the Holy Spirit. And yet, the Holy Spirit did not have him declaring anything. There was still that silence from God. There were no prophets speaking the word of God. But it didn't mean that God didn't have prophets. They were just not declaring anything because the Holy Spirit wasn't declaring anything. But it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit didn't have people. I know that's strange. Why would God put a prophet there and not tell him not to do anything? 
Well, you're going to have to take that up with God. He wanted silence, but yet he has his people. And he had told Simeon that he was to wait to see the consolation of Israel. He couldn't die. Now, we can think that may sound like a blessing. You know you're not going to die until this happens, but it could be a curse if you've got medical conditions or you're in pain or you're handicapped or you've been, you know, I mean, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that can happen. It's not like you can think, well, I can kill myself and God just, you know, it's not a video game where you, you rise up and you're, you're back to normal. You know, if God, if God says you're not going to die, that doesn't mean if someone cuts off your arms and legs, they suddenly reappear and you get to start over on your level of life. It means that you, you still have to suffer those consequences. Now, I'm not saying Simeon was anything like this. We don't know. But we do know that Simeon was ready to go be with the Lord. He was ready to go ahead and pass on. He was ready to be at peace. But he he couldn't. He was waiting. Again, we don't know what trials he had in his life. I mean, maybe all of his loved ones was, was gone and he was lonely. We don't know. But he was ready to go on and he couldn't because he was waiting. And suddenly, he was taken by the Spirit. So the prophet is being led by the Spirit. The prophet who doesn't speak is led by the Spirit to the temple where he is revealed by the Spirit. The revelation comes. This is Jesus. This is the one. So all of his waiting, all of his preparation that he'd been doing his whole life had come to this moment to see. And when the revelation came, suddenly, suddenly in this Kairos moment, the prophet who was not allowed to speak, because we're waiting for John the Baptist, we're waiting for Jesus, suddenly the Lord allowed this man to prophesy. And what does he do? He prophesies over Jesus that he's going to be a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. He's going to be the glory of his people Israel. He says the child is destined for the fall and rising of those in Israel. That, you know, a sign which will be spoken against. He, he's prophesying here. The Spirit of God has him declaring in this Kairos moment, the prophet who has not been allowed to speak all this time up to this moment is suddenly allowed to declare. Here comes Anna. She's called a prophetess. So here we have a female prophet. Word of God, this is a prophetess. In a time when we often say there are no prophets. Well, here's a prophetess called by the Word of God, Luke chapter 2. And yet, if she was a prophetess, what did she proclaim? Again, like Simeon, she had God was speaking to her, but it wasn't for us. It was just part of the silence, but he spoke to her. And so what did she do in this time of waiting? God said that she did not depart the temple. She served God with fasting and prayers day and night. Day and night. She just sought the Lord. That's what her waiting, that was the process of her waiting was about. And the moment she sees Jesus, she began what? Proclaiming. She spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She began speaking and telling about the child. We have this bringing forth of the gospel in this Kairos moment. Again, these are incredible things when you, when you think about it. Now, I know I've spent a little more time on this, but I want us to see that there is more to waiting than doing nothing. Let's look at our next scripture passage, Galatians chapter 4. Verses 4 through 7. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. It reads, But when the fullness of the time had come, 
God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir of God through Christ. Again, another Kairos moment here, when the fullness of time had come. Incredible Kairos moment. That's one of the big ones. When the fullness of time had come. That is a Kairos moment. In this in this appointed moment of time, God sent forth his son. See, this is the moment that all those guys in Hebrews 11 that did not receive the promise, now their promise has come. Now the fulfillment, everything their faith was towards has suddenly come. Boom. It's here. It is revealed. This is the promise being revealed and received. Now for us, this is 2,000 years in the past. What does that mean for us? God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born of the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Okay, so here's it. We are, we now are being on this side. The promise is now here. That means that the moment for us is to receive the adoption as sons. We have been redeemed. Jesus redeemed us on the cross. He redeemed us in the resurrection. Now we might receive. So when we talk about we are now waiting by faith, what are we supposed to do with our faith? Well, we're waiting. We're waiting for what? Our promise of redemption in the second coming. We're waiting for the promise when we stand before God pure and blameless. Our our purification is now complete. That's what you and I are waiting for. We're supposed to be in the process of putting off our old selves and putting on Christ. We are in the process of receiving the adoption as sons. Now, I've not ever adopted my wife and I've talked about it. We still talk about it. <clears throat> but I know that you is not, adoption isn't something like buying a candy bar. You just don't walk into a store, flip over $5, and they say, okay, here's your kid. That's not how it works. There is a process you have to go through. It, it doesn't just happen instantly. We are in a process of being received as sons. And it says, because you are sons of God who sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This Abba, Father, that's that's like saying, Daddy, Daddy. That's what a child says, Daddy, Daddy. You know, it's a very intimate thing. And so that's what we're doing right now. God has sent his spirit into our hearts, and we begin crying out, Daddy, Daddy, because we're getting adopted. And so, therefore, we are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son then an heir. Now, see, this is the interesting part when you start talking about this adoption process because we were being adopted. We were slaves who are now being adopted. That means that we have to be freed. We're freed by the blood of Jesus on the cross. But just because you're freed doesn't mean you're suddenly the heir. Now, I know that's got some people sort of ticked off. I can already hear it going, whoa, I'm and go, no, think about it. If you were in chains and you're sitting there in, in, in the, the slave pen in chains and all of a sudden he comes in and you look up and, and, and you see him and he says, I want him. And he purchases you and he takes you out and he goes, I'm going to adopt you. You are free. And you're going, 
this is great. The first thing they do is you have to unlock your chains. Well, he's giving you the key to unlock your chains. Your your, your key was purchased at Calvary. You're, you've been freed. But you know what? You've got to you've got to when you take those chains off, you've got to put them down and not go back. See, a lot of times we get up, we get away, and Jesus frees us from our addictions. He frees us from our bondages. He frees us from these things, and we all leave the church building, or we all leave that spot, and we say yes, 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 and then we go home and we turn around and go right back. We turn around and go right back instead of going back and saying, "I want to wash up. I want to take this dirt." off. I want to take the filth of the slave pen. I want to wash it off by the Spirit. I want to put on the new clothes that God has given me. I want to put on those sandals that the Father has put down. And I want to put on that signet ring that my Father has come running out and wants to put on my finger. I, I, I want Him to put it on. And we have to, we have to start learning to quit acting like a slave and act like a son. Why? Because God wants to make us an error. Well, children don't receive the error. Now, there's a lot of things about like the prodigal. Well, the prodigal got, got his inheritance early. Well, not necessarily. The, the fathers don't have to die to pass on the inheritance. Uh, when you look at Isaac and Jacob, both of them passed on the inheritance of the promise, the blessing, before they died. They had to come in and they would lay hands on them. And, you know, Isaac, put your hand on my thighs. There was this passing of the inheritance or the blessing of God before they would die. And Jacob, we always, Jacob, the usurper, he stole it from Isaac. But he really didn't steal the blessing from Esau. Jacob didn't steal it from Esau. He bought the birthright from Esau over a pot of stew. He bought the birthright. The birthright gives you the legal right to claim the inheritance. So we see in God's eyes, when Esau sold his birthright for a pot of stew, God was not going to allow him to have that blessing. So later on, when Jacob and his mother come up with this crazy scheme about putting goat skins and and making the, the, the thing to trick, because Isaac wasn't going to give the blessing to Jacob. Because he, in Isaac's eyes, he didn't care about whether Jacob gave him a pot of stew for the birthright or not. As far as Isaac was concerned, Esau was the firstborn. That's where it went. But in God's eyes, it was the faith of Jacob, because Jacob would never do Jacob did that because Jacob knew how valuable it was. He believed in it, where Esau did not. And that rings true with God wholeheartedly. God's all about faith. Esau didn't have faith. Jacob did. And so when Jacob did this, God allowed Isaac's eyes to fail. God allowed Isaac to be fooled, even though the voice wasn't the same. God allowed him to, I mean, even if he was blind, it was, how could you not understand this? God allowed it. The same way I've always wondered, well, how could Jacob marry Leah and not understand? I don't care if he couldn't see and it was dark. Couldn't he tell this wasn't Rachel when he married her? Listen, God has a way of blinding you where you don't know what's going on. And and that, that's exactly what happened in, in those instances. Your inheritance can get passed on. And so you see, God's wanting us to mature in this waiting process. By faith, we must exercise this. Now let's look at our last passage. It's Isaiah 61, 
starting in verse 10, and it goes through chapter 62, verse 3. It's only five verses. Um, it seems like a lot, but it's not. 61.10 through 62.3. It reads, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud, and the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness, and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God." So much here, and I'm running out of time. Please bear with me. I know I'm going a little long for a normal podcast, but please hang with me here. Notice, I want to get right into this. It says, as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, as a bride adorns herself. What's happening here? These, this is bridegroom, the, the bride, they are preparing themselves for the wedding. And this preparation is the same as the earth springs forth as bud. You know, in the winter, things look dead, but there's life going on in the roots. It's going up before the leaves and the quote buds come out. There's stuff happening. You can't always see it, but it's there. Uh, as a garden, um, as a garden that, uh, causes things that are sown in it to spring forth, you know, uh, to sow, you have to go plant before all the, the, the comes to life and, and springs forth. This is this preparing to receive the promise. And I really like the bridegroom and the bride thing. You're, you're, you're preparing for the wedding. You've not yet received the promise, but you're in process of getting ready for it. You know, what's the promise? The promise is when you get married and you say, I do at the end. And, and the, and the, and the minister says, you may kiss your bride. Uh, you know, and then it's said and done and it's over. This, you're married. You've got the, the, the idea of we've, we're engaged. We're now putting on our wedding duds, our wedding garments. You know, you know what's about to happen, but it's not there yet. But you're preparing for it, especially a woman. You know, she's she's gonna. Be, I was once told that you, you know, for for guys, when she walks down that aisle, she'll never be more beautiful. You know, and and that's like a a great thing and a bad thing. What do you mean she'll never be more beautiful? Well, from that day forward, she's only going to get older. She's only going to age. She's going to have kids. Things are going to happen. You know, we're all people. We, we were run down. And yet, from a, from a physical standpoint, that, that's, that's the climax. Now, the reality is, you know, when I do a marriage thing, is that because of the spiritual union, she actually grows more beautiful in the spirit and in your relationship. And, you know, my wife is more beautiful now after 30 years than she was when we married. You know, we don't, don't look as good physically as we did 30 years ago. But when I look at her, I see something even more beautiful than, you know, what I saw then on that day. Um, but that's, but the, the process is though the women, they're doing their hair, they're doing makeup, they're, they're preparing themselves to receive the promise in this Kairos moments. And, and it keeps going on this. And it says, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. For Jerusalem's sake, this is the Lord speaking. I will not, will not rest until what? 
Her righteousness goes forth. So this is God saying, I'm not going to hold back until what? The bride's righteousness goes forth. Her salvation is a lamp that burns and Gentiles see righteousness and all the kings in your glory. See, this is what we're doing right now, people. This is what the church is supposed to be doing. We are in our waiting. We are supposed to go forth in righteousness. We are supposed to be bright. We're supposed to be a light that burns salvation that Gentiles see. Um, the kings in the world will see the glory of God in us. This is what God is wanting us to do in this time of putting on our wedding garments. And then it says, you shall be called by a new name. You shall be. This is, this is the future. See, this is the promise that we're waiting for. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. In Revelation, it says that you'll be given a rock with your name on it. That no one else in, 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 in creation has. I always like to tell people, think about it. You're going to stand there on this judgment day. We're going to be there all of creation. This is judgment day. This is it. And God's going to call your name. And it's not this earthly name that we have. My name is Kelly. There's millions of Kellys in the world. So he's not going to say Kelly and a million people raise their hands like which one you want. He's going to call a name that is unique that no one else has. And when he calls it, I will know it is me because it is who I am. It is who he's made me to be. You will be unique. And it's, and it's, and it's new. And he's going to do that for all of us. And it'll come right out of his mouth because he's God and he can do these sort of things. And I'm going to, and I'm going to be, what shall I be? We're not going to get crowns. I like this. People think, well, God's going to give me a crown of glory. No, we shall be a crown of glory. We don't get crowns. We are crowns of glory in the hand of the Lord. And like it's a royal diadem. You know, I, you know, I spent some time when I was younger in the Methodist church growing up. And so, you know, we always sing about the royal diadem every week. So, um, one of my friends had not, and they had no idea what a diadem was. And I always thought growing up, it was like a very ornate, uh, female crown, you know? Um, but in reality, in the Middle East, it was, it was just, it was like a headband. It was like a, a white cloth. It was white. And it was like a headband cloth that you'd tie and wrap around your head. And a lot of times kings would wear, you know, they just strap on this. And then it could have jewels or something in it. Or sometimes it was just a white cloth um, um, that they would wear instead of a crown on, on a battlefield or something. But a thing about a diadem is that it was also given by the king to someone that he wanted them to carry his authority. And so... Joseph might have wore a diadem in Egypt, or maybe Daniel wore a diadem in 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 Babylon or, or Persia. Uh, and it, and when you show up with the diadem on, you whatever you say is considered to be the 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 voice of the king. So if I showed up, I'm not a king, but the king gives me the diadem, and I go somewhere. Whatever I say is to be taken as if it was the word of the king. And God wants to make us royal diadems. In other words, he wants us to be in a position to where we speak his word. And we will become that. In the day that we are perfect, spotless, and blameless, he gives us a new name. And the wedding feast is fulfilled. And this all happens because this is our faith. Our faith is in this promise that we are going to receive something far better, far better than what we think we've been promised.
See, when we look at Jesus and we think of salvation, and salvation is wonderful and it's great and it's awesome, but God is God is not one to be, you know, put down number two. He's like, he saved us for something better. He's not saved us for mediocre. He hasn't saved us for mediocrity. He hasn't saved us so that we can just say, I got out of hell and I'm just skimming by. He saved us to become a son, adopted, an heir, a crown. And it's funny, in Revelation, we cast those crowns. You know, God's going to create us something and we cast ourselves at his feet. That's a wonderful picture. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have called us to such promises. Lord, I pray right now by your spirit that you would fill us with faith, God. Faith, God, that we would we would wait for the promise of your coming, Lord. And by waiting, Lord, we wouldn't be just holding up on some mountainside, praying to somehow escape this word. But no, Lord, that we would go through this process of purification, the sanctification, God, that we would go through the process of putting off our own self and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, God, that we'd put on your armor, God, that we'd put on your new life, God, that, Lord, that we would shine forth in righteousness like a light to the unbelievers that are around us, God, that we would proclaim your message just as Simeon and Anna did, God, just as your disciples did, God, that, Lord, that when we walk down that aisle, God, you will give us that new name, God, as, as, as your beloved. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name. Well, we thank you for hanging with us in this teaching series, Words for Life, over 2023. You can catch the entire series from our website at www.christianimpact.net. I believe we're also breaking those down into playlists on our YouTube page, which you can also reach on YouTube, uh, Christian Impact Ministries. Or again, you can reach that from our website at christianimpact.net. We'll be starting a, a new series next week. Hope you tune in for it. And until then, God bless. Yeah.